William Henry, and I'm joined by Lavelle Jackson, aka Belly Setback, reporting. <laughs> you know, that's an inside joke. Vell, how goes it this week, buddy? Yeah, cool, cool. Everything's good, man. Everything's lovely. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. On this Memorial Day weekend, you got any big plans or you, you do anything special? No, might hang with the family, chill a little bit, but uh, for the most part, just uh, relaxing and, and you know, taking in this this beautiful weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it's um, definitely beautiful out there, and we got you know, Game Seven is gonna come on tonight. I know, I know you're gonna check that one out. Who you got? You got the Heat, or do you got the Young Celtics? And uh, it's a hard one because I I, I I initially picked the Celtics to close the series out, uh, but the Heat, man, they looking. Uh, pretty good, man. Butler looking, you know, feeling confident. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, 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 I can't call it. It's hard. It's very, very hard. It's crazy because, you know, you, you'll count the heat out. It's like they look like either the Celtics got their number or it just looked like they don't have enough. Then out the blue, it's like, voila. You know what I'm saying? They just look unbeatable. You know, that performance that Butler put on the other night. The thing is, is he going to be able to do it again? I don't know, but I tell you what, I will be tuning in and check it out um, tonight at 8.30 Eastern time. Um, also, a few days ago, they had that clash against, uh, or they had the versus, and the clash was 8-Ball and MJG versus UGK. Did you check that, that one out, Bill? If not, what's your thoughts on both groups? Yeah, I, I did not. Uh... I probably found out that they were doing it either that day or the day before that there was a versus. Uh, so I didn't really like how the message, all the information probably got out there. But it's interesting because, you know, I followed both groups. Um, I probably got on UGK a little bit late, you know, even though I, because I was a big Spice One fan coming up, you know, he used to always shout them out. And I had the Minister Society soundtrack, which had, you know, pocket full of stones on there. Um, but A-Ball MJG, I was a fan since, you know, they had the, I remember the, uh, the On Top of the World uh, album that came out. And even before that, when I went back and listened to uh, Coming Out Hard, the, the whole sample, do, 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 you know, back then in the 90s, you know, you had to have, it wasn't a club record, you had the, the ride and you'll, you'll put the, you know, the speakers on, you know, get the, get the 12s and put them in the car or the 10s, whatever you're going to have. You know, and, and that eight ball MJG, whatever they would they would put out would be bumping, you know, especially the uh suave house sign. Um, so I was a bigger eight ball MJG fan, even though uh I think as I've gotten older, I, I've come to respect uh UGK a little bit more, especially you know, the talents of, of Bum B lyricism and uh Pimp C's production and, and uh vocal style. So Great matchup, great groups. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to check it out on, on YouTube and see how, how it went. Yeah, they did a poor job of uh, promoting the event because I caught it a little late. I think it was like the day after or two days after. One of my former students, he hit me up. He inboxed me. He was like, Mr. Henry, you see the 8-Ball MJT and uh, UGK versus? And I was just in the middle of watching it. And so we were like corresponding back and four for one another. He's a huge, you know, uh, Southern rap, like guru, you know what I mean? He just loves it, but me too, to be honest with you. When I 
you know, initially when I was coming up like in Milwaukee and stuff like that, and I was coming out of high school and college, that's when eight ball at MJG, like that's when they like kind of blossomed, you know what I mean? And, and they were making their run, you know, for about four or five years, they were that group, you know, I remember coming back one time and I was having a, a, a discussion, a pretty heated discussion because eight ball and MJG had just came out with their second CD and then Nas came out as well. And so the argument, I was having this debate with this guy for about two, three hours, but I just had to get up out of there, but it was, it was a really good conversation. And he was really like, no, nah, man, you know, eight ball and MJG, they killing Nas. Like ain't, ain't nobody trying to hear it. And, you know, those, you know, people like rapping and, and, um, you know, like the lyrics and stuff like that being most important. Like, you hear these beats, man? You hear that riding that beat and blah, 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 this and that. And so we were just like going back and forth as far as like which, you know, artistry was best. Was it the South or was it like the East Coast? And, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, after that, that, that Space Age Pimpin' CD though, to me, that was like them at their best. Like they put everything together and that was just, like a masterpiece, you know, that one song that they had called, um, I think it was called Real. You know what I'm talking about, Vil? Yeah, my, my sister actually had the CD when it came out and she put me on it. Um, yeah, but it was interesting you you say that about the, the lyricism piece because uh, I always thought that that, that um, A-Ball and MJG were underrated lyricists, especially A-Ball. I thought he was, he could be, I mean, he, of course he's not going to be the, 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 the type of lyricist that people are looking for when they discuss lyricism but dude, both of them cats could you know wrap their butt off they can wrap their tail off they they didn't really need the beast to be popular the beast is just there to bring their sound out you know so i thought it was the other way around where as far as this like lyrical ability i thought mjg held it down from that standpoint kind of like because all of those duos you always have the straight guy and then you have the guy who's more charismatic, more like, um, you know, swagger based, like Run DMC had DMC and then Run had the flavor. And then you had, but they both could rap now, don't get me wrong. You got UGK where Bum B is the straight man and then Pimp C, he provides the flavor. You know what I'm saying? And I thought that MJG was that dude and then um, eight ball was a little bit more of not necessarily as much as the other groups that I mentioned, but he was, he was like that, even EPMB, like you had Paris who was more like the straight lace guy. And then, then, um, you know, Eric would be more, you know, Hey, you know, that type of thing, um, as well. But the song I'm talking about on there, cause it, it was three like classic songs. You had Space Age Pimpin', you had Real. And then there was another one on there, but I like that one when it's like hard times to define you and all your good days behind you. Like I used to bump that all the time, you know what I'm saying? But then living in Texas, UGK, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they just, it was like, it was either like every other year they would come out with something that was just banging, you know what I mean? I remember that one CD that they came out to me, that's when they put it all together. I can't remember the name of it because they had a lot of like, um, 
it, it was, they played on like certain words in their titles, but each year they came out with something. That one CD that they had, I got Bobby by the pound and Whitney by the key, DJ Screw by the gallon, the game that belongs to me. That one right there, man, that CD right there is just bumping. But anyway, it was a great versus, you know. Um, what I like about this one is not only does it take you when, you know, into the time frame in which those groups were at their peak, it also, you know, shows you the camaraderie that they had with each other, you know, like those Southern artists, like they was telling you stories about what was going on at the time, you know, Bum B going to New York and, you know, his experiences. And then when they were at this stage, they were doing this, but they always was bigging up each other. You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily a competition. It was more so just showcasing, you know, what these, these, these kings of hip hop, you know, brought to the table and still bringing to the table to this day. So, you know, when you get a chance, you know, definitely check that one out, but I'm, I'm, you'll definitely, you definitely won't be disappointed. Now, let's go ahead and get off into these topics, man. We got a lot of show to cover today, you know, so let's go ahead and, and take it to the Barclays Center with that Tank Davis versus Rolly Romero. Oh, man. Okay. Javante uh, Tank Davis versus Rolando Raleigh Romero took place last night. Um it kind of went the way I thought, and in some ways it went a little different. Um, number one, I was surprised by how well Raleigh did, you know, pretty much in the beginning. Uh, he came out, he started utilizing his jab. Um, didn't do much in the first round. Neither guy did too much, but I, I like that Raleigh was, you know, working his jab, but he didn't seem as, as sloppy as I've seen him in, in previous fights. Uh, he seemed like, you know, he was trying to be disciplined, uh, his corner seemed like they tried to get him as prepared as they could for this particular type of fight. Uh, Tank more so played it more uh, patiently than I thought he was going, going to play it. Uh, I thought he would try to get Roddy out of there within three. And even if he tried to punish him, like he said he was going to do, I thought he would have been more of a, of a punish and let his hands go more. But it seemed like he was being more patient and really trying to uh, set uh, Roddy up for a shot. That would, that would probably come later, you know, that came later. Um, but the second round was interesting um, because Raleigh landed a, a, a combination on Tank. Um, that had Tank kind of going backwards and kind of really a little bit. Um, I thought Tank, I don't think Tank was hurt, but I think Davis was, Davis was probably, you know, surprised and probably like, man, and, and, and was having a little bit, he was getting a little frustrated uh, by that. And it was taking him a while to, get, to really get in the groove, even though he knew what he was seeing from Raleigh. Um, but Raleigh is still kind of, even though Raleigh was more um, disciplined in this fight, he's still kind of awkward. And he throws these awkward, you know, punches, even though he was trying. He, he never really uh, was doing anything to really uh, uh, hurt Tank per se, but it seemed like he was really uh, frustrating Tank pretty much. Um, but the fourth round, I mean, I, I think not too much was happening in the fourth round. The fifth round, I think Tank really started to heat up a little bit more. Uh, and he started landing at them straight lefts on on uh, Raleigh a little bit more. And I, I could see the, the Raleigh's face and he was landing. And he was trying his hardest to be poised, but you could tell that he was like, this dude does. He, all right, you know. Uh, and then the, the, the sixth round, 
uh, Roddy tried to come in and, and, and Tank caught him with a, a, a straight left. It was kind of reminiscent of uh, Pacquiao Marquez and Marquez did the same thing. It was almost like a combination of Pacquiao Marquez and Floyd Hatton where he caught uh, Riley coming in with a left and Riley went straight into the ropes. Um, and he got up, um, but he was wobbly and the ref waved it off. Uh, at the time that they raved it off, I was kind of like frustrated. I was like, I think I felt like I was getting robbed of like the knockout of the year. And I thought that this is going to be an interesting like stoppage. Uh, and I thought that the stoppage was a little early, but after really, you know, thinking about it and really, you know, sleeping on it as a boxing fan, you know, he was hurt and he was still wobbling, you know, on his way back to the dressing room. And you never want to see uh, as much as you want to be entertained. Uh, you know, we never want to see somebody get hurt, you know, and, and I, I think, Tank was about to hurt him. He was about to hurt him for real, you know. So the referee kind of did him a solid, you know, by saving him. But yeah, the stoppage was still a little early to me, you know. Um, but it was a good performance. I mean, good ending by Tank. Um, I, I expected a little bit more from Tank, but when you got power like that and you have, you know, enough skill to set guys up for shots like that, I mean. You can you can you can risk doing things like that because I did have Romero winning the second round, and, and some people thought that he was winning more rounds. I, I think this was you know shaping up to be a close fight up until the about the fifth round when once uh, Tank started landing those lefts right on Raleigh. Um, but you know Tank did what he had to do. Uh, even though Raleigh did get stopped, he didn't lose too much because it wasn't like he tank hurt him really really bad or anything like that um but you know it's interesting that this kind of in some ways separate casual fans from like boxing fans because us boxing fans we knew this was going to happen we knew how it was going to end but you know you hear casual fans online and they were acting like wow look what he did it's like i mean i expected that even matter of fact i expected you know more you know from i expected that to be even be earlier or even be more of a beating but, you know, lasting thoughts on this fight. The first thought is, is, is whoever doing Tank's dental work, man, I need to get that number. Him and Floyd Mayweather, they got the best dinners in the game, man. They, they, they white, they're they pearly whites. They, they hooked up, man. I wish I could just get these, you know, get these little stains off my teeth. You know what I'm saying? Well, just contact them for that, sir. Can we stick to the fight? You know yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was distracting to me. I saw them in pearly whites. I was like, "Man, dude, I, man, give me. I need to find out what dentist they got." And number two, uh, just looking at where to, where both guys go from here. Of course, Raleigh's gonna, you know, have to rebuild himself. But I don't think he lose too much uh, in this. He's still, you know, what he is. I mean, uh, and Tank. Um, I, th I think he he wants he, he's been very verbal about wanting you know the the, the Devin Haney's the Ryan Garcia's and the Tiafimo Lopez of the you know of the division uh, and he's been more vocal in that uh, there's been talks about him stating that uh, it was Mayweather Promotions who didn't want him to get those fights uh, he said he would he, it was it was talk about him leaving Mayweather Promotions so that he can get those fights. Uh, not sure if that's actually going to happen or not. You know, the talk has been kind of quiet about now. So, I mean, so I, I would assume that Mayweather Promotions is, is trying to renegotiate that contract and trying to 
get them, you know, get them to resign because at the end of the day, they did make tank a lot of money, you know, and money talks. Um, but we'll see what happens in the future, you know. Uh, Gil ended from tank, you know. Uh, I thought it would have been earlier, but he did. He got the job done. He showed that he is what he is. He he can use that power and, and erase somebody whenever. So yeah, um, based on some of the things that I I saw that you didn't touch on, is I thought that it was interesting the way Roley came into the ring with when Doves crying by Prince, um, and you know I just I just thought that was interesting, but you know, unique song to come into. I think he was themed out with it, you know, the Prince theme because he had even like a Prince shirt on at the post-fight press conference. Now, as far as the fight is concerned, I won't touch on too many things. Uh, like I said, because you you broke it down and you, you discussed like round by round. Um, but what I will say is this, is that what I noticed in the fight is that early on Tank was cautious well, one is because I heard him in the post-fight press conference. He was saying that he needs to do a better job of getting warmed up before he entered the ring because he had to warm up as the fight went on. The other thing that made him so cautious was really does have power. And that's probably the biggest puncher that he's faced. And it was one exchange that it seemed like he caught Tank with something. And if it didn't hurt him, it definitely got his attention. And once he got his attention, then Tank... I saw him firing some heavy shots back at him. I think he was slightly buzzed a little bit because he, he um, just the way he was fighting and holding, you know, at first, and then he kind of like regrouped and he began to box a little bit more. And he started trying to set uh, Roley up, you know, to come in to walk into something. But Roley was doing, doing a good job, not necessarily landing as many shots, but it was just his, his, uh, his posture. It was one in which Tank couldn't just like throw the shots that he wanted to throw because he was going to leave himself vulnerable, you know. And I don't even know if Roley knew that that's what he was going to do coming into the fight or if that's something that he just decided to do, you know, once he got in the, in the ring. Now, before I give, I'm, I'm going to do a good and a bad and an ugly uh, when it comes to this fight. Um, but as far as the punch stats, um, total punches landed. It was a fight where it wasn't a lot of accurate shots being landed. These guys are heavy punchers. So if they did have more punches landed then the fight would have definitely ended before the sixth. But Tank, he landed 25 punches out of a total of 84 at a 30% rate. And then Roley landed three less at 22, and, but he threw more. He threw 115 punches um, at 90, I mean, 19% uh, percentage ratio. And as far as the power shots, Tank landed 20 power shots and he threw 58, which was 36 or 35% accuracy. And then Roley, he threw 76 and landed 19 at a 25% clip. So again, guys were not that accurate, but you know, like I said, these are some real heavy, heavy punchers. Now, to me, in this fight, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I thought that Tank throughout the fight, you know, showing up that the, the patience that he showed, he showed pretty decent boxing ability against the puncher, you know, and which he had to, or, or that was the best um, scenario for him because 
he could have, you know, probably try to press the issue more, but then he'll left himself a little bit more vulnerable. So I like that in him that he took that approach. The other thing too, that was good is I think Tank saw some of what Floyd did in his fight last week or his exhibition bout because he was a lot more entertaining. Like he was cognizant of what was going on in the crowd, messing around with Roley and just showing that gamesmanship. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I like that about him. He, he's becoming more of a performer as well. And I thought another good thing was that Roley performed better than definitely I thought that he was going to perform. I, I thought that he would be a lot more reckless, that it would leave himself open earlier, but he was relatively patient as well. And he was showing some little, but the awkwardness that will have fighters kind of hesitant on throwing shots because they don't want to get hit with something that's coming out of nowhere. And so I like that about him, you know, in this fight. The other good is the fact that you had like 19,000, it was, it was sold out. You know what I mean? Uh, these smaller, you know, fighters and Tank is becoming that star. You know what I mean? He is a star in boxing. He's one of the top five, you know, um, guys in the sport that can bring people to an event. You know what I mean? Which makes it an event. And he's going to be one of those, those, those type of guys where you can like send messages to a casual fan and be like, oh man, you see watching Tank Davis, you know, so on and so forth. So many different groups that I was a part of yesterday because I, I talk and text, you know, I've got different groups that I, I, I do that with, but everybody was, was up on the Tank Davis fight. So he is that star now. So if he did want to leave and sever ties with Mayweather, then he certainly can do it now, you know, from that standpoint and his, his, his charisma, you know, you see him in these pet press conferences, not that he's saying much in the press conferences, but he can just do certain things that he'll have, the, the um, reporters or the people in that room in the palm of his hands. They may ask him a question and he may just shake his head and smile and everybody in the room start laughing or he just might, you know, laugh or something like that himself and everybody in the room. So he has the room. He's one of those type of people who people gravitate to. Um, so that's a great thing, you know, moving forward for him. I, if I was him, he can take the Mayweather part out, out of it but I definitely would keep that team because they're doing a really good job with them. The bad that I noticed yesterday was that the fight was close. You know what I mean? The scorecards had it 49-46, 48-47, and then Roley was up on one of the cards, 47-48. Roley is the type of fighter who I still don't, the skill is, is just not there. Now, also yesterday on the undercar of the uh, Tank Davis, Roddy Romero uh, main event, we had the American Dream, Arislandi Lara, uh, went up, up against uh, Gary Spike O'Sullivan for Lara's um, WBA middleweight title. Do you, do you see that fight, Will, or your thoughts on it? Of course, of course. I had to check out the dream, you know, taking on Spike yesterday. It was Landy Lara, you know, he's 39 years of age. And with, in his last four fights, you know, he's starting to sit down on his punches a little bit more. You know, and out of those last four fights, he has three stoppages, you know, so he's trying to be a little bit more fan friendly as of late. And in this one against Gary Spike O'Sullivan, he did pretty much what everyone figured he would do, and that's dominate an overmatched opponent. Now, that's the interesting thing about this car. Like the top part of the car, you had two fights where one of them was like a 10 to 1 odds, and then the main event was like 9 to 1 or 10 to 1. 
And the main event was probably the most interesting, you know, overmatched fight that you possibly could make. You know, that's that's like for a um, promoter, they did a, like an outstanding job, like kind of protecting their prized pupil, but at the same time putting on a match that people were interested in. But in this one, like I said, he pretty much uh, dominated every round. Uh, Lara was in the pocket more, landing his one-twos. And, you know, either like stepping away or, you know, um, angling himself out of danger. And then he'll come back with the one-two. Um, he hurt and dropped O'Sullivan in the fourth. I think it was at the end of the fourth where he couldn't really, he didn't have the opportunity to put the finishing touches on O'Sullivan, but he was hurt bad in the fourth. And then he had him hurt badly again in the seventh. And then in the eighth round, he hurt him again. And the referee decided to put a halt to the fight. O'Sullivan really was never in this one, you know. And like I said, you know, 10 to 1, 9 to 1 odds, that's what you expect, you know, in a fight like this. Now, the good, I'm going to go with my Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good in this fight was Lara was able to get back and stay busy. You know, he was perfecting that new style of sitting down on his punches, and which is more fan-friendly and then also more appealing to the judges because in the past with his three losses and his well one loss was by stoppage but the other loss that he had and the draws that he had that was the thing that you would see in a Laura fight where you'll be like dude just do a little bit more you can easily win this fight where he's that's not the case anymore where he's putting some some punishment on his, his opponents um the other bad thing to me is that he's 39 and he's he needs to step up the competition you know I think that at this particular stage of his career he should be fighting champions or fights that are more lucrative. You know, that should be what the only thing that he's entertaining at this stage of his career. And then the ugly was the fact that it was just an all-out mismatch. You know what I mean? And, you know, it was an entertaining mismatch from the standpoint of him hurting the guy, you know, on multiple occasions. But outside of that, he was never in any danger, you know. And so luckily the main event, was something that the people really was excited for. And then also people just excited to be back out, you know, and, you know, full effect. And so, um, you know, he, he kind of lumped out there, but for the most part, great win, you know, against a fighter that she was supposed to do that to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. He was definitely supposed to do that to Gary O'Sullivan. When I, when I saw Spike, I was like, where, where did I know him from? Man, I, I, I remember, the, the ball guy with the mustache from somewhere. And I, and I went back in my archives and I saw the uh, Jaime Mugia fight. Uh, it, it was a few fights before that too, that, uh, from a uh, fight that I saw. Uh, so so even looking at this fight, even before, even if I would have saw O'Sullivan before this fight, I, there's no way I would give him a chance in this fight unless Lara just, it'll have to be a 45-year-old Lara. You know? So... Uh, Laura did sit down his punches more and, and he didn't move as much, even though I, I never looked at Laura's like, Laura doesn't really over move per se. Like uh, let's say a uh, Keith Thurman who moves a lot when he's hurt or, anything, or, or he definitely moves a lot, but Laura is definitely someone who he moves subtly and he moves effectively, uh, especially in his prime where he would just get out of there and turn and, and, and do these particular moves uh great defensive fighter um southpaw uh, but in this fight i think you know some of it was a little bit of age where he couldn't really you know 
move the way he used to. But he, the, the thing I like about Lara is that he realized that he's like, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna work on this more, work on that more. Just like uh, when Floyd decided to move up in weight and he couldn't do what he used to do when he was when he was younger, he kind of altered his style to to embellish it, and make it uh, more interesting and better. So I think that's sort of what we're seeing from Lara. Um, and, and those those lefts that he, he shot at uh, O'Sullivan that caught O'Sullivan in uh, in the fourth round and also uh, I think in the seventh round also um, I mean they were they were beautiful straight straight lefts but I mean it's against O'Sullivan um, but you know I mean I, I, good win by him it's not like it's an, an impressive win but I'll say it's a, you know it's a good win he did what he was supposed to do. Uh, and like you said, we'll, I, I want to see where he goes from here. He is 39, uh, even though he, he, he fights like he's kind of getting up there in age, but he looks like he's been drinking the fountain of youth because he, he's like one of the few fighters that looked exactly the same as he did like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but good win from him. Uh, I, I like to see more, which is interesting from a guy that's 39 years old. Uh, I just want to see – how his career is going to close itself out. It's going to be very, very interesting uh, being that he's been, you know, this very defensive and tough customer too. He, he's underratedly tough that, you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit for. Even when you look at fights, uh, that fight with Canelo, I think he really toughed that out. Um, and even that fight with Angulo where, you know, he, he, again, that, that left pretty much took, uh, pretty much hurt Angulo pretty bad. Uh, so, you know, good win from Laura. Anything else you want to share? Yeah, a couple of things I want to share, uh, too. One, the, typically, that's the reason why it's important to have skills, because if you're a skilled fighter and you're a boxer, you, it's easier to transition into somebody who can stay in the pocket, elude punches, and then counter guys. That's, that's the reason why you want to build those fundamentals. Guys like Ali was able to do um, similarly, you know what I mean? Like when he slowed down at first, he was just a fast speed demon. But then after a while, he was able to, you know, add in other wrinkles that would allow him to, you know, um, allow his career to go on, you know, once he got a little bit older. Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis was more like he moved around a lot more. But then once he settled into his style and got a little bit older, he was more of a fighter who would like sit in there more. And then he also added more power to um, his punches, not necessarily added more power, but he didn't waste a lot of energy like he was doing before. I thought that, uh, and you mentioned Floyd, Floyd's the same way. Once you have those skills, you, you had a foundation set. It's like a basketball player who, you know, was athletic, formerly athletic, but then after a while, the athleticism wanes, but you already had a fundamental. So you can go to a fadeaway jump shot. You can go to more of a post-up game because you have the fundamentals. You're not just somebody who just uses your athleticism and then that's it. Um, Amari Stoudemire. Now, with, with that being said, I also want to say this, <laughs> is that where he gets the bad look. See, I, I, I agree with you, but then again, I disagree because I think that he is tough. He's a tough cookie. He's very difficult to beat. It, but where he gets a bad rap sometimes is the Canelo fight because he called out Canelo for, for a while. But the way he fought Canelo, to me, he was running. I thought that had he stayed there just a little bit more and not give the appearance that I'm running out of 
these, um, like, if, if I sit there, so all he did against Canelo to me was he would jab, he might let, land a nice jab, but then before Canelo could do anything, he would run out of there and then he'll do it again. But he was leaving just a hair too quickly before you would give him credit for, you know, being there and fighting as opposed to running. It was just like this little small little thing. If he would have just been in there just a little bit more, then he would have been given credit for that. And I thought that that's where the bad rap, because if you look at his career in totality, man, he uh, went, you know, life and death, like I said, with, with a brutal puncher in Angulo. And then a fight that he had that he lost the championship against Hurd. Hurd is a huge 154 pound fighter. And he was in there fighting until he couldn't fight anymore. So he is tough. I just think that in his biggest fight, on the biggest stage, that's what people remember about him. But, you know, let's say hopefully he'll get in there and get an opportunity against, you know, one of the 160 pound champions. Maybe he can unify for if he can find a fight that's lucrative, you know what I mean? Um, then I think that that would be a good way to cap off a pretty good career. Anything else? No, sir. Now, also next week, we got Stephen Coolboy Fulton. He's going to be facing Danny Roman. Um, I think two belts will be on the line, two or three belts will be on the line. What do you think about this matchup, Bill? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this fight out. Uh, we got Steven, cool boy, Fulton, uh, 20 and 0 with eight knockouts, about five foot six and a half to five foot seven uh, with a 70 inch uh, wingspan. Coming off this very impressive uh, close victory over uh, Brandon Figueroa, which I was impressed with how he fought that fight and how he toughed that fight out. Um, he's pretty good at, he's very versatile. It's one of the things I, I like about him. Uh, he can box. Uh, he's not afraid to sit in there and tough it out, as we've seen with Figueroa, but he can, you know, move if he have to. He can counter if he have to. He has excellent uh, conditioning. can fight under pressure. Um, he got that Philly hustle to him, you know, that, that he, 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 he can fight it out if he have to. He can box if he have to. Uh, he's going against uh, Daniel, the babyface assassin, uh, Roman. Now, Roman is 29-3-1. With 10 knockouts, uh, five for five with a 68 inch wingspan. Uh, he's coming off his, his uh, victory over Ricardo Espinoza Franco. Um, one thing that I noticed, he hasn't been active. He only had maybe one fight in two years, two fights in like three years. Uh, so he's dealing with a little bit of inactivity. Probably could have something to do with the pandemic. Um, you know, tough fighter, you know, a tough little, you know, fighter. Um, he, he doesn't really come forward. I'm going to call him a come forward fighter per se, but he can't. He pretty much stays in front of you and he moves a little bit, but not a lot. Um, but I don't, I don't see a lot that he's going to give any pr too many problems with Fulton uh, because if he try to fight Fulton, which I, I think he will, I think Fulton has enough conditioning and, and uh, skill to tough this one out. And his cardio just on point is very, very impressive. Um, but neither guy has like this crazy power about him. So I expect this fight to go a distance uh, and I expect Fulton to, to win this fight. Unanimous decision. He's probably going to win this fight. I wouldn't be surprised if he pitched a, a shutout here, but I'll go maybe 10-2, 11-1, something in that range. Um, but yeah, I don't see anything that 
unless unless uh, Roman is going to turn to Oscar Valdez overnight, I don't see anything that's going to trouble uh, uh, Cool Boy uh, Fulton too much. Yep. So I, I look at this fight. Um, you know, you you gave the attributes of, of each guy and Fulton with the eight KOs and twenty victories. He has a forty percent KO ratio, and then you have Roman who has a thirty percent KO ratio. So just looking at the ratios, you would think that Fulton would slightly be a bigger puncher, even though these guys are not big punchers. I still think that Roman is the bigger puncher coming into this fight. It just looks like when you see he's got punched that he has a little bit more oomph behind his shots, you know, not that he's the biggest puncher in the world. So um, I think that 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 may play a little bit of factor that of him possibly getting a little respect. Now, as far as what I see, what both guys brings to the table, I think that Fulton is very sharp, crisp shots that he lands, throws a lot of punches, utilizes angles. He's an above average body puncher, can apply pressure. He can box. And when he applies pressures, it's, it's not in a reckless way. It's kind of cautious, but at the same time, he can, you know, bring it to you. And then he's solid defensively where he slips, he does nice pivots. And so he has a real... Um, overall hodgepodge of skills that he brings to the table where Romain, like I said, with a 30% KO ratio, even though it's 10, 10 points less, he, I think he's the bigger puncher. Um, and he's very sharp on the inside. You know what I mean? And he does excellent work to the body. And he's also a volume puncher as well. When you look at Ring Magazine, they rank him number three and they have Fulton at number one. Um, and so... That, that tells you that he does bring skills, you know, to the to the table. Now, my prediction for this fight is I also have Fulton by 12-round decision. And it's mainly because he just does more things better than Romain. Now, if Romain had, or Roman, if he had an attribute that was just like overly superior, like supreme power, then I could see him having an opportunity to win this fight. But when guys are kind of evenly matched, but one guy just has more superior skills like in each different category. For instance, I think Fulton is better defensively. I think he's more accurate. I think he's way faster. And I think he's a better ring general where, he, like I said, doing multiple things, he can make guys do what he wants them to do or at least throw them off because of the fact that he might out the blue just come brawl with you when you thinking like, well, I didn't even train for this. I didn't even, um, you know, I wasn't prepared for this. So he can just do different things and he does them at a pretty high level. So I would think that that's is what's going to uh, carry the day. And as far as the advantages of Roman to me is that he in fighting, I think he's slightly better at in fighting than Fulton. And then he has a slight power advantage, but this won't be a, a, a you know something that will come into play because both guys have pretty good chins. And then they, I don't think they hit hard enough to really dissuade the other guy. As far as stamina, I think that that's equal and it may be in Fulton's favor now since Roman's been so inactive. And then, like I said, the chins, I think that that won't even be a factor, but I think they're equally um, skilled there um, as well. So my prediction is going to be a 12-round decision in favor of Stephen Coolboy Fulton. Anything else you got? No, sir. So um, also next week, we have this fight that we've been you know, waiting for for a minute. Uh, Devin the Dream Haney, he finally get his shot at uh, all four belts to unify the lightweight championship at 135 pounds. And he'll be facing 
uh, George Ferocious Cambosis. Um, what are your thoughts on this fight, Will? How you see it going? Well, I see this going like this. Well, you got Devin Haney. He's 27-0, 15 KOs. He's 23 years old, 5'8", 71-inch reach. You got George Cambosis, 28, in the prime of his career, 68-inch reach. A little bit under 5'10". He's 20-0 with 10 KOs. Um, Devin Haney is coming off the victories, impressive victory over Jojo Diaz. And um, before that, or prior to that, he defeated the always tough or typically tough Jorge Linares. And Cambosis is coming off his biggest victory to date, which was against Tiafimo Lopez, the takeover. Now, the attributes of both guys, Haney, pure boxer. You know, he, he likes, likes the the fight to be on the outside where he can, you know, utilize his jab. And out from the outside, he picks his shots well, has that nice jab, great footwork, very slippery, defensively responsible, and often pot shots his opponents after he has a sizable lead on the scorecards. Now, I always say this, that the, 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 the glaring thing about Haney with all of those great attributes that he brings to the table, the one thing that is is just missing the missing ingredient is just a pop in his punches now he may have enough pop to kind of possibly hurt a guy but it's not where it's going to be to the point where elite level guys typically aren't really in danger of you know being stopped because it's just it's, he just misses it's a little bit of oomph behind those shots that could really seriously uh concern somebody who, who's a top level um competitor and so Cambosis what he brings to the table he applies pressure you know what I mean he uh, likes to fight on the, in the pocket very good in close range you know um, and for him the one thing that that I noticed about Cambosis with the exception of the Teal fight where he brought up brought it all you know together or put it all together is that when he does typically find an entry path inside he really doesn't use tactics, you know, anything special to get inside. He's just coming in where he's not using angles or anything like that. That's what I noticed before. But against Teal, that wasn't, again, that, that was something that didn't necessarily, um, it didn't play out that way because Teal didn't fight him like that. But in this fight against a boxer, he's going to have to be able to cut off the ring, which I'm, I'm kind of concerned about because in previous fights, that he had, he had trouble against guys who box like Bay, like Selby. So that leads me to my prediction. I think that this is another fight where you got, I think Haney's more, way more talented. I think he's more talented than Cambosis. Cambosis has that win. His confidence is very high. He's going to be fighting in Australia. So all of those things are going to be going in his favor. But I think that talent-wise, Haney's better. And then the way Haney fights, the fact that he's going to be on the outside more and Cambosis is going to have to come in in order to have success, I think that that's going to play into Haney's favor because when you look at what each guy um, is better at, like to me, Haney's faster, he's more accurate, he's better defensively, and he's a better ring general because I think what he's, he does is going to force Cambosis to constantly have to come to him. And then I don't know if Cambosis, that's the best part of this game. And so to me, in order to beat somebody that that's the best part of their game and you're forced to do something that's not the best part of your game, I have to lean towards that guy who is going to be in a better situation, you know, under those circumstances. And 
couple that with the fact that he has more attributes that he brings to the table. Now, Cambosis, you know, like I say, the, the biggest thing for him that can work in his favor is two things. One is if he can kind of rough Haney up, you know, and get to the inside. It's just, I don't like how he cuts off the ring. And then the other advantage that he has is fighting at home. So I would give him already three rounds already, just the fact that he's going to be in Australia. And you saw, you know, when Manny Pacquiao was out there that, you know, a lot of people thought he won that fight against Horn, you know what I mean? And so um, that's going to play a, a factor as well. Now, as far as power, I think both guys are about equal. Uh, Cambosa might have a little bit more pop. And then stamina, I think that's equal as well. Um, so my prediction, I got Haney by 12-round decision and, and, and pretty wide margin. I would say like eight to four or um, something along those lines. Yeah, I kind of see it's the same way. You, you got Devin Haney, you know, the smooth boxer. Um, excellent jab. Um, he kind of been lacking power lately, but uh, I don't know. That could be either him not sitting on his punches correctly or uh, one other thing that, that I've been thinking a lot about is that it might be him kind of growing out of 135 uh, and that power may just show up at 140. Not saying he's going to come as puncher, but that power may show up a little bit more if he, you know, if he moves up. Because he's a young guy. He's been making 135 for a long time. He's trying to, you know, get those four belts and get the fights that he needs. And, get, and probably he's going to get out of there. Um, but uh, he moves very, very well. You know, he is defensively responsible. Uh, even though he does get, you know, caught at times, which, you know, most boxers, you know, they, they go, they're going to get caught. Um and even though some 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 instances like with uh, Jorge Linares, where he, he seemed a little bit slightly buzzed, but Linares, he but they Linares pretty much buzzes everybody. <laughs> you know, uh, even if Linares doesn't win a fight, he gonna he gonna tag you and he gonna shake you for a little bit. So, to me, even though Haney got some a little bit of criticism for that. I didn't think anything of it. It didn't make me think that Haney had less of a chin or wasn't uh, as tough as, regardless, you know. So going over with Kambosas, I think Kambosas, uh, like you said, Will, he does have, he, he does have trouble cutting off that ring. Uh, a lot of things he do is basic, but he does his basic, the basic things he do, like the one, two, he does it very, very well. But at the same time, when you look at, like, his fight with uh, Tiafimo Lopez, it was almost like a perfect storm for him to take advantage of. Now he did take advantage of it, which most, a lot of fighters, you know, may not have risen to that occasion, but he did take advantage of it. But uh, it's not by no fault of his own. Uh, I still have to think about, you know, um, Tiafimo Lopez basically doing everything he could to get that fight away before the fight even happens. You know, he just didn't take, uh, George Kambosa seriously, you know, uh, and Kambosa was pretty much making him emotional and just just messing with Lopez mentally. So he had a vanish with Lopez, even though Lopez, you know, has his power and all that and was able to, you know, hurt Kambosa. He he had a mental advantage over Kambosa, over uh, Lopez that he's not going to have with Haney. I think Haney is just too smart and too grounded outside the ring to fall for that. So, so Haney, I, I expect Haney to jab a lot. I expect him to move and not let Kambosas do what he want to do. 
and, and I look for uh, Haney to, to try to take away some of uh, Kibosa's weapons. Um, but I do see it being, you know, a Haney decision. Uh, it'll, be, it'll probably be eight to four or nine to three. Um, but I, I, I don't see George Kambosa's. The only way I see George Kambosa's winning this fight if it's some type of a robbery or a close fight where they decide to give it to him. But I can't see Kambosa just winning seven legitimate rounds over Devin Haney because I've never, up to this point, I haven't seen him fight rough enough to really give Haney trouble. And I, I haven't seen Haney as trouble with rough tactics to say that that's going to be able to happen. So that's my decision. Yep. That's, that's, that's the likely scenario. I, never, I haven't seen Haney lose many rounds, you know, in his career. I've seen George Cambosis lose rounds, you know what I mean? And you also have to factor in the level of competition with the exception of Tio. I think that it's close as far as the level. Because the last two fights, Devin's really been building on his resume with the Linares and the uh, Jojo Diaz fight. So... But we'll see. You know, styles make fights, and we'll see how that one goes. Now, also, I believe it's this Wednesday or something like that out there in Japan. They had those crazy fight days, you know what I mean? And so you have the monster, you know, in a way, a new way. He's going to be taking on the Filipino Flash, Nonito Donaire, the living legend, 39 year old who collected the WBC strap, you know, a fight or two ago. You know, they're going to be trying to you know, unify some of those belts, you know, in the Bantamweight division. Who do you like between uh, the Monster and the Filipino Flash? Oh, man. Uh, I'll say first, I'm a pretty uh, big fan of both. I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Donair. You know, I follow his career uh, ever since the uh, Darchinian, the win over Vic Darchinian, <laughs> who, who I kind of didn't like, <laughs> Vic Darchinian. Uh, you haven't seen him look, look that win up and look up Vic Darchinian. Uh, but uh, Nui's coming in this fight 22 and 0 with 19 knockouts, just a monster puncher, five for five with a 70, uh, 67 inch wingspan. Uh, he does have a win over Donair, which was a pretty exciting fight where Donair did cause some trouble to Nui. And, and it was one of those fights where, uh, one of the few fights where Donair was able to hurt Nui. You see Nui kind of troubled and kind of like weary. Uh, could, um, and of, of course, Nui has those wins over Jason uh, Maloney also, which I saw. Um, but Nui just has demolishing, demolishing power. He hurts just about anyone, everyone that he's been in the ring with. He, he throws off combos, a pretty good combination puncher. Uh, but then you have Donier, who is a veteran, uh, 42 and 6, with 28 knockouts, uh, 5 for 7 with a 68 inch wingspan. Uh, he's coming off these. these Interesting wins that were very impressive over Young Guns, Raymar Caballo, Caballo, and uh, Norton Ubali, uh, which both of those fights ended in the fourth round where Donaire just, just caught him slipping, you know? Uh, now, when you look at the power between Donaire and Nui, even though Nui, people may look at him as the puncher in the fight, I think Donaire, to me, has more, he has more one-punch knockout power. And I'm not talking about raw power, but I think he has his way about him where he, 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 when he catch guys, he clips them. He, he clips them inter- even even more. And he clips top guys. You know, he's great, he's great at punching, you know, right in the fire in combination. Uh, and I think that'll be pretty key going to this fight. And that's going to be the interesting thing uh, that 
an interesting advantage that Donaire will have. Um, but this fight is, is going to be action packed. I'm going to look for uh, Donaire to, to, to try to catch Inouye and try to clip him. Uh, but at the same time, I think that um, at the same time, I mean, Donaire, he's getting up there in age. And I think Father Time is just undefeated. He's going to intervene in this fight. Uh, so it's hard to say what's going to happen in this fight because both guys have power. And Donaire does kind of have that left hook of a racer, which shows up a lot at lower weights. He didn't really have too much trouble. He only had trouble with, with, with one person at a lower weight, and that was uh, – um, man, what's my man name? Cuban. Rigo. Oh, he had it there with, with uh, Ramo Rigondeaux. That was the only guy at, I think it was one, either 118 and 122 that gave him trouble. But then he started moving up to 126, and that's when he really started having a lot of trouble with really huge guys um, like, like, like the Jamaican they fought that, that stopped him. But I think at lower weights, he's been pretty sturdy and he's been pretty, you know, uh, durable. But I think it's going to be too much. I, th- I think I have a Nui stopping him around the eighth to ninth round in an action-packed fight where I think Donier might even hurt a Nui, but I think a is going to end it this time. Yeah, I don't think that it's, it's even like a debate as far as like the one-punch devastating knockout power. Guys just do it differently. But Donier, I mean, I've seen Donier hit Montiel, Ferdinando Montiel, and put a dent in his head. Like he, he knocked him out cold and he's just sitting there like shaking on the ground. So yeah, you, you get hit by one of those shots and that's what he's trying to set up a new way for is one of those shots that's gonna like paralyze him. Um, in their first fight, so let me go ahead and say this. Well, Nui, you know, like you said, he's, he's coming off um, a couple impressive victories after their first clash. You know, he just beat um, Aaron uh, Dipion by eighth round TKO and then Donaire is coming off the Raymar Cavallo fight where he scored a fourth round TKO victory. Um, the first fight was fight of the year to me. You know what I mean? I think ESPN called it fight of the year, but I, I had that one as fight of the year and it was for the World Series of Boxing Muhammad Ali Trophy. Um, you know, outstanding clash. It was a highly entertaining chess match where both guys were hurt. You know, Donaire used every trick in his bag, you know, to make Inouye uncomfortable. And coming into this fight, I think the Donaire's biggest problem is going to be his age. You know, he's seasoned, though, but it's going to be hard to keep up with Inouye his speed and his quickness, you know, for three minutes of each round, which I don't think he attempts to do that. I think that he just makes sure that Inouye is cognizant of the fact that he may have something coming back at him where he can't put all of his, you know, power into his shots because if he overextends a little too much, it could be some something that comes back that, you know, ends the night for him. To me, in that first fight, Inoue showed me something too. You know what I mean? In that first fight where he showed a lot of heart, some things I've never seen before because he never had to show him. He showed heart, durability, the ability to make adjustments. He had uh, showed a good solid chin and then the ability to improvise, you know, in different moments when he had to, because he was in situations that he had never been in before. Donaire was able to be defensively responsible and throw his dangerous shots and at a new way and keeping him off balance a bit. And he didn't, you know, move around or away from a new way's power because most people, when they fight a new way, they're trying to, you know, move and stay out of the way where he didn't do that, where he was just right in there 
it was like like he was in there like a a, a a rock you know what i mean like he was taking the stuff but at the same time he was being responsible enough where all of those shots were not getting in and he was bigger than a new way too like he just really you know he, he has a, a pretty big size advantage where some of those shots that a new way would land on other guys it, it wasn't having nearly the effect eventually it did though and then i want to say that was the 11th 10th or 11th round where Donaire thought that Inoue was going to come up top and he clipped him with a body shot. And I thought the fight was going to be over. I don't know how he survived because he was that hurt where he just went down and then it looked like, because Inoue was looking at him like, this is the fight that's going to be over. And he was about to go ahead and like jump on the, on the ropes. But then he ended up getting up and, and he survived. And he showed a lot of heart as well in that fight uh, and a lot of trickery as well. Now, I think that... See, man, you cannot count out someone as skilled, powerful, and experienced as Donaire. Um, and also, you got to factor in Donaire has nothing to lose. Donaire is already on, you know, he, he's going to, you know, the Hall of Fame. You know, he's just adding on to, you know, his, his, his accolades, man, and accomplishments. Like you said, like he started off with the fight that against Darchinian a long time ago when people didn't think that he was going to win. He was on that role, you know what I mean? He was like number two, three pound for pound fighter. So he already has a resume out the wazoo. And so at this stage, after the loss of um, Inoue back in 2019, he's just adding, you know, different, you know, cherries on top, little cheese on top here and there, but the meal is already done. You know, so you got to factor that in that he's going to give it everything that he has and he doesn't have to like worry about anything. Where New Way's in a totally different ball game where people were questioning like, okay, you know, are you as good as you, you, you we think you are? You know, you had, you went life and death with this old dude last time. You know what I mean? So he had, still has some question marks about him, you know, but I thought that that was a little bit um, ridiculous because, you know, like I said, the size advantage and then the experience and the, the way each guy fights, that it will be tough, you know, especially if um, Donaire is, is, is anywhere close to him being on top of his game. That was going to provide a, a tough matchup for Inoue. But how I think it's going to play, I think Inoue will be able to adjust, you know, better from the first fight because he's seen all of the tricks already so he can be more prepared for him. And then I think he'll have a better idea of how to attack Donaire and possibly go downstairs a little bit more. So I have a new way by 10th round stoppage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree that, that a new way would probably make some adjustments. Well, I probably may disagree slightly. I, I think Donaire could have more tricks up his sleeve <laughs> that, that new way still haven't seen yet. I wouldn't count uh, Donaire out. And uh, even though I'd be surprised, I mean, I wouldn't be, I would be uh, surprised if Donaire was able to clip Anui and stop him. I wouldn't be shocked if that makes sense because, because Donaire could pretty much sleep anybody with that left hook at 118. So I don't put that above anyone. I just don't think it's going to happen. But I wouldn't be shocked if it happened. Right. That's why I say you can't count on somebody with those skills, that power, that experience, because he has the know-how. He also has the, um, you know, the wits, you know, he, he, he's seen it all. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that, he knows what 
what you know a newer is coming with. So he might be just working on this one single thing that he knows is going to be available to him, and he just see if he can hit the jackpot with that shot, you know. But that left hand is always going to be problematic for anybody. It's just a matter of a new way just has more things that he's gonna be throwing, but that doesn't mean that that's a better situation for him because you're doing all of this different stuff where he's just waiting for that one opportunity for you to make that one mistake and bam, you know, game over. So we'll see, you know, I'm looking forward to it. June 7th, ESPN Plus, you know. All right, Bill, uh, next week we also have David Morrell in action. He's going to be taking on Calvin Henderson. What do you think about that one? Yeah, this this fight, you know, I, I didn't really know about it, but it's a little, it's a little interesting when I look at it further. Uh, I'm a, I've am been watching David Morrell. You know, he, he's 6-0 with five knockouts uh, at, uh, at super middleweight at 168. Um, six foot one with a 70-inch wingspan. Uh, he has some interesting, even even in his you know six fights. He, he also had, he has a uh, one of his best victories was a a knockout victory over Alantez Fox that I thought was impressed for someone who only had that many fights. I mean, um, David Morrell, When I look at him, he seems the the way he's matched and the way he looked at as a prospect. He looked he's looked at on the level of uh, Edgar Belinga, but he only has six fights. Uh, so, you know, he's a, he has a lot of power, you know, he, he's also a slick boxer. Um, it, it, he has a, a, a pretty good amateur experience where when he, once he turned pro, they think he, they thought he was ready early. I think he had, a, a his first championship fight for the WBA regular super middleweight title. I think, I think that was in his, I want to say second or third fight. And I, I remember being impressed with that. Um, and I think that fight also was the only fight that went to a decision. Um, so, so he does have, you know, boxing ability. Cause that was actually the first fight I saw. And, and I was like, Hmm, he's an interesting guy, but any other fights after that I saw, he was, he was getting guys out of there. Uh, now Henderson, uh, Calvin Henderson, 15 and one and one with 11 knockouts. Um, He's, he's somewhat of a puncher, kind of a grinder. He, he, he's definitely a counter puncher in a way where he, he does counter guys when they're throwing punches at him. Uh, he's a little bit slower than Morrell. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the issues that, that I see. Um, but up to this point, he's shown a pretty good chin, even if he is hittable. Um, so, so what I think is going to happen in this fight is that I think Henderson, if Henderson can find a way to counter Morrell, Morrell's, you know, setting his combinations up and get his respect, I think the fight could be interesting. But I think Morrell, um, one, one thing I'm going to say is, is, is even in these six fights, I still don't, we don't know a lot about Morrell. We only know we've seen these six fights. We, we haven't seen, I mean, I, I know he, he, he He's up to a, a higher grade of an opponent than you would normally see for a guy with that many fights. But at the same time, we haven't seen him against a whole plethora of fighters to say, like, what, do, what will you do in this situation? What will you do in that situation? We just know that he can win against 
a particular type of level, which is higher than uh, someone else who would also have like six fights. So I think Henderson could is gonna could test Morel, but I think if I'm gonna go with my gut, I, I say that Morel will pull this one out for a unanimous decision. That's what I think is gonna happen. Yeah, for me, I think that this is. I think it's, this is very similar to the level of guys that he's faced before. Like, he might be a little bit better than Alantes Fox, who Morrell recently beat by fourth-round KO. Um, but I think that if it is, it's not much better um, as far as the competition. Now, Henderson, he has uh, recently, most recently beat Robert Burtwell in, um, in which he TKO'd him in a second. And then prior to that fight, he lost to Isaiah Sting. And then he also has a draw on his resume against Jenk uh, Delano uh, as well. Now, as far as Morrell in the amateurs, you know, the 24-year-old was 135 and two. So he has that amateur pedigree, 6'1", 78 and a half inch reach. And he's still a little raw, you know, obviously with only five fights. But he has a he has very good skills. He's he's extremely aggressive, or at least he was in the Alantes Fox fight. Has nice so, power. Uh, moving along, uh, we've just got notification that a, a particular super fight has just been agreed upon. Uh, we're talking about one of the biggest fights in uh, the, the the women's boxing history. Uh, we're talking about the the quote Theresa Shields. She's going to be going up against Savannah Marshall. Now, the date hasn't been specified yet, but we've heard that they've agreed to terms and this fight will be taking place. What are your thoughts on this, this fight, Will? Oh, very good matchup right here. Um, you know, one of the best matchups that you could possibly make in female boxing, right? You know, coming off the serrano Katie Taylor fight that, you know, I'm just excited not only for this fight, but for women's boxing in general. You're going to have Savannah Silent Assassin Marshall. She's 5'11 and a half, 12 and 0 with 10 KOs. She holds the WBO title at middleweight. She's 31 years of age. This matchup is going to be for Undisputed, right? And so Clarissa Shields, they call it the quote, you know, T-Rex. She's 12-0 uh, with two KOs. She's 27 years old. She's 5'8 with a 68-inch reach. Um, both fighters are coming off pretty impressive victories where Marshall KL, Femke, Herm, Herm, uh, Hermans in the second or third round uh, would have left, you know, that put her out. And then uh, Clarissa, she won a 10-round decision against uh, Emma, I think it's Colson, in her last fight. Now, as far as the skills that each, guy, each girl brings to the table or, or lady brings to the table, you know, you got Savannah Marshall. She has that power. She's a smooth operator, very relaxed and fluid. She's an accurate puncher. She runs fighters into her shots and can knock you silly with either hand. Uh, very relaxed and poised and also has a nice jab. Uh, she's probably the biggest puncher in female boxing. She has an 83% KO ratio where she's going to be facing, you know, a lady that she defeated and the amateurs, which is Clarissa Shields. She has great technique, fast hands. Um, she's a pretty much of a kind of a volume puncher, but she's very sharp, you know, and she has a nice cool, uh, pull counter and she has solid defense. And she's mastered the art of artistic violence. To me in this fight, it's like a 55, 45 fight in favor of Shields. And that's the reason why. 
I think Shields has the better resume. I think she has the faster hands and better defense. Um, the power goes to Marshall, reflex, I think, Shields, and then also the experience of shield, Shields. Now, um, the thing that is interesting to me is I think that Marshall could just use her jab or try to use her jab and make Shields run into something or kind of blind her with the jab to set her up for the big right hand. But I think I got Shields by decision because I think that Marshall typically has to set up her shots where she's going to kind of load up just a little bit. And I think Shields will be able to get out the way and then get her stuff off. So I got Shields by 12 round decision. What about you, Bill? Yeah, I see the same, see it similarly. Uh, just, I think that that Shields is just, I think every time I see Clarissa Shields, if you watch her fights maybe two or three fights ago and you watch her last fight, you can see that she improves very, very fast. She picks up, up on things really, really fast. She improves quickly as far as even her physicality, not as far as like power where you see she's hurting girls, but when you see like, she, she, it seems like she's gotten faster and she's gotten sharper in like two or three fights, you know, and she improves every time I see her. Um, just, she can do a lot of things. She's very, very slick. The only true knock on her that people say is that she doesn't have power. Uh, and I think she's going to need that to get uh, Marshall's respect. Um, but I think she is sharp enough that where that will come into play. I mean, just because someone doesn't have knockout power, it doesn't, or not have a high KO rate or what have you, doesn't mean they can, they don't have enough pop to get your respect. I mean, we should say the same thing about Timothy. People say that about Timothy Bradley. You're going to see people walking through Bradley a lot. So uh, I think with uh, Savannah Marshall, you know, um, she's, you know, tall. But I, I, when I see them together, she doesn't look as, it looks, it seems to be like a three or four inch uh, official like height difference but when you see them together it doesn't look like it's that much of a difference uh but she is taller uh stronger i mean her knockouts of like uh, her man's is kind of like wow she's brutal uh and, and her fight kind of rankling uh brutal fight also uh she uses her jab which i do like but one thing that i think that shields would take advantage of is that uh hammer some i mean Marshall sometimes she fights with her hands down a little bit and she used her reflexes kind of as a defense but I think that Shields reflexes are better so I think that will come into play I think speed will come into play because uh, Shields is, is, is a lot faster the only question that, that's going to come up that this fight is going to come down to is if Marshall is able to land will Shields be able to take that power and a lot of the fight is going to, how the fight goes is going to dictate off of that. So let's say that uh, Marshall is able to hurt Shields. Then it's like how she responds to that. Can she tough it out and, and tough out a decision or what she will? Or what if Marshall hits Christian Shields that shot and Christian Shields doesn't go anywhere? Then that's another problem. I don't, I'm not sure Savannah Marshall can really outbox Shields over 12 rounds. Uh, but we've seen Shields get dropped in the past, but we've never really seen her like badly hurt or close to being stopped. So this would be an interesting fight. But I do think if, if we're going to see the best of anyone in this fight, I think we're going to see the best of Clarissa Shields. So I, I have Clarissa Shields winning this, this fight, a uh, 12-round decision. Uh, it could be an 8-4 to four or 7-5. to five.
10 rounds, you know, females do 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Danny, you can cut that part out. But I see this being a unanimous decision. I, I see it being around, I would say, six to four, uh, possibly seven to three. That's what I see. I see uh, Christian Shields' toughness fight out. Okay. Yeah, I think both uh, ladies have gotten a lot better um, throughout the course of their career. Because when I looked at Marshall earlier in her career, she looked a little bit more like sloppier, but she kind of perfected her style, like as far as the fluidity of what it is that she does. Um, but it's, it's going to be a great, excellent class. Looking forward to when they come up with a date, you know, that's going to be one of those ones. Um, anything else you got before we wrap things up? Yeah. Um, I do want to say, I, I want to say, you know, I live in the DMV area. We, uh, I think, Will, you do too. I want to send condolences out to uh, the Russell family. Uh, if you haven't heard, you know, in boxing news, uh, Gary Russell Sr., you know, he uh, passed away this past week. Uh, so our hearts go out to the, you know, the Russell family with, you know, Gary Antoine Russell and Gary Antonio Russell. Um, I hope that, that, you know, they can be comforted in this time and I, and I want them to stay strong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, prayers to the Russell family for losing their patriarch. The other thing, Val, you know, let me put my address out there on blast like that. But, but, um, yeah, and then also shout out to Danny. Danny wasn't able to make it this week. And I was thinking about canceling uh, the show. You know what I mean? And I, t I hollered at Val. And Val said, man, this is a good fight week. I want to rock right now. So I said, well, it takes two to make a thing go right. So let's go ahead and do it. You understand me? So um, anything else you got, Val? Yeah, yeah, shout out to Danny. And yeah, we'll be all be back uh, next week. Yeah, hopefully. And on that note, man, you all have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.